This is the PropTech VC Podcast. We give you unique insights into how innovative technologies are disrupting real estate. We interview top entrepreneurs, investors, and knowledgeable experts to share the inside scoop in this fast-moving industry. It's hosted by leading PropTech VC, Zane Jaffer. Let's dive into today's content. Yeah, that, that's it. This is all about prioritization, which comes down to a function called product management and, and looking at what's being asked and, and questioning, do these set of features represent a need in the bigger market? Is this something that is unique to customer A or is this something I can find customer B, C, D for and use customer A as a you know good case study? Um, it also, I think, comes down to the psychological relationship you have with your first few customers. If you turn into a dev shop unwittingly, the leverage is lost. They have a lot of pricing power over you and it's scary. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I, compl- I mean, look, we, 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 we think about that. I think about that a lot. You know, I, I completely agree with you. And, and, it, and it's hard because especially when you're early stage, like, you know, you want, you need, you need them using your product so you can build more product so they can give you the case study so you can go get more customers. But so it it is, it's constantly a balance. This idea of we're customer driven um, and they're helping us build our product, but we're not a consulting company, right? Like that, that's just not what we're doing. If you, if you don't have a startup yet and you're thinking of one, it's very beautiful to think, wow, I've got this major large customer that actually wants to work with me and I can build a product out for them. You'll be tearing your hair out and wishing you never started the company if you figure out, realize later, I'm so dependent on them and ouch, like they could crush my business overnight. And I, I, I just am building features for them. I'm actually an underpaid consulting firm. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, I think, I mean, look again, what, what's the beauty, what's the beauty of building software companies, right? The beauty is, is like you write one piece of code and you can deploy it to potentially hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands of customers. If you're not doing that, like, then why start a software company? Like, you know, that's not, that's the whole point, right? Um, the other thing is just say no, as you said, and learn to manage expectations under promise over deliver. That's really important. I think that one strategy with enterprises, if you're entering a crowded market, a really good way to enter the crowded market is to is to build around a few key customers and identify a niche that's not being served. Yeah. And carefully go after a segment that's being unaddressed or, or isn't being addressed well, get those key customers and be careful, don't go head to head for the flagship accounts, otherwise your competitors will crush you. They'll price you out. They'll do anything they can to retain the crown jewels. What you want to do is go after the segment of customers that your competitors are like, ah, that wasn't really a valuable customer anyway. It was small for us. Well, you know what? As they focus and retrench to the core of the market, you're capturing sort of the mid-tail and downstream. And before you know it, as those mid-customers become large customers, they're your customers. Yeah. That's great. Um, he, to add something else, and uh, I agree. I'm sure I'm sure you'll agree with this. The beautiful thing about having an enterprise customer is there's a lot more revenue to unlock. And once you're in and you've got that relationship, you can launch new products and features. You can easily test it out with them. You can get customer feedback. The beauty of having so few large customers is that you develop a tighter relationship with them, and um, there's opportunities for you to be what I would say is a preferred vendor 
where you, you launch other products, it's much easier to get in. In some ways, the more enterprise customers you have, that's of strategic value. That's sometimes why acquisitions happen. You know, the customer base that you have as a startup that you've built with these key customers, those relationships are very valuable to a potential acquirer. Something right. not to forget if you're an entrepreneur. Oh yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it's 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 especially like in the B two B and like you said, enterprise space. It's so the classic problem is like, well, why go after ten clients when I can just get one who will pay me, you know, ten times what they'll pay me? Like that's the classic problem, and it's so it's especially when you're trying to hit quotas, right? Like that's 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 what oftentimes people try to do. My belief is again, one of our sort of core values of our company is to build for the long term. Right, so what what that means is not only build product for the long term, make long term decisions when you're building product. Don't make short term ones, but that also means in terms of like how we talk, think about customers. We don't think of them as, you know, hitting quotas. We look at this customer, like you said, wherever they are on their their sort of journey, right? Um, and and I will argue that there are some small customers who are further along in their data journey than the large guys, right? Um, wherever they are in their journey, if we can capture them and grow with them as they go through this journey, then we'll be their solution of choice. Now, or if one of them leaves, we've, actually this has happened to us. Someone has left a company where that was a customer of ours, they went to the new company and they said, oh, well, we should just use term sheet. Like I'm familiar with it, you know? Right, that's a massive driver. And that happens probably one year to three years out. A lot of people change jobs and they tend to work in the same industry. And those people who you maintain a relationship with become your evangelists. And to that point, one thing I see a lot of startups in the B2B and enterprise sales side miss is the, or get wrong is the, is the importance of having the right ratio of account management or customer service to clients. And when you're budgeting, it's very easy to budget for sales and to budget for engineers. Yeah. You forget, hold on, you've, you've bitten off more than you can chew. You're now spending time servicing these accounts and there's often a ratio that's used in industries depending on your product. You know, it could be, it could be you know, you have one account manager per X number of accounts, all a yeah. function of the product and revenue you're making from the clients. Yeah. No, you're completely right. I mean, that's that's part of the problem too. I should say problem. Like good, the good problem as you're as you're building your company, it's like don't forget the things that got you there, right? Like your accessibility to clients, your willingness to hear their feedback. That only becomes or is just as important to the hundredth client as it was to the first, right? Like they want the same thing, um, and so you have to build your business understanding that right you can't just forget like oh well the hundredth guy like I, we don't have to worry about him he's just the hundredth guy you know and i found it quite difficult to balance and when i was ceo of my startup and we had well over a hundred thousand customers some of these customers were bringing 10 to 50 million dollars in revenue so you can appreciate how important they were right yeah and you know one day like we couldn't even get you know a hundred thousand dollars and suddenly you've got a customer that you know is bringing that much revenue for your company um it's fun and it's easy to just, and I highly recommend at the early stage, you just need to do everything, but to go out and go for the big guns and go go get the big sales and focus on the big accounts, there is something to be said as a CEO or even as an executive 
sitting down with your key clients every now and then having sort of quarterly meetings and just chatting to them and and trying to understand what is it you're trying to do what are your problems let me put myself in your shoes what are you trying to do what are your strategic priorities and then map back how does my product help you do that and learning from key accounts what's working and isn't working is sometimes more important than just going in and giving a presentation and winning another sale you know, people bring in the CEO as the closer sometimes, right? When there's a key account, yeah. that's fun. And you need to do that. And you bring in a lot of revenue and your sales team, you can really help them in that way. But you have to spend time with the whole segments of accounts and constantly trying to pattern match and understand, okay, I just heard this from this customer. Now let me take a note of that and bring that back to my product team. Now let me also see, does that feedback come up in other places too? Before you know it, you're back to startup phase. You're getting new ideas. You're seeing new trends happening. And that's how you be someone who was just like you starting out in a, you know, in the basement somewhere. Those are the yeah. people you're afraid of when you're, when you're growing, right? Bill right. Gates used to say, I'm not worried about the major competitors. I'm worrying about someone like me who's sitting in a, you know, a basement or garage somewhere and building their startup. They're the ones to be afraid of. And it's true. That turned out to be the case. Can you elaborate on that more? Yeah. So it's not your competitors that you see today that are dangerous for you. Okay. You even hinted to this. Some of the smaller customers can be more demanding. They have to be more demanding. They don't have that market cap. They don't have that big infrastructure. When a rocket ship is taking off, everyone gets credit for it, even though there's dead weight on the bus. Right. Right. So in the same way, you've got to watch out for that tiny little startup that is on your market, looking at what you are doing. And they're out there gobbling up some of the market share. And that's yeah. the case for you as a founder when you're building your company, right? That startup, you've got to remember this, you're not competing with that startup, okay? Even though you haven't made it to the big leagues, you're competing with that founder. Imagine there's someone as hungry as you. There's a yeah. saying, the wolf at the bottom of the hill is always hungry. I know you've never heard that before, but it's a childhood <laughs> joke I had with a friend of mine. Like, you know, the wolf at the bottom of the hill is hungrier than the wolf at the top. It'll do anything right. to climb that hill. It's got more hustle and more hunger, right? Once you've made it and you've got millions of dollars in revenue, and of course you've never made it, anything can happen, but you've got millions right. of dollars in revenue, when you're going to your customers, keep pretending you're that little baby startup and try to get signals from the market. Because yeah. that other founder over there is trying to get access to that market. You've already got access to that market. Start thinking about what's the next product we're gonna build in a year? What does my roadmap look like six months, 12 months, and 18 months out? And I found, because I was so in touch with my key customers, I'd have an advantage versus another startup who would go finally get access to one one customer. And I'm already aware of that startup, right? Which helps our corporate development pipeline, but also I'm getting way more feedback than that entrepreneur is. So as a CEO, as your company scales, you have got to put yourself into that mindset of, okay, you know, what's the next iteration of this startup going to be? And I've got better access than any founder on the yeah. planet because I already had that. That's an customers. amazing way to think about it. I mean, we, I think about customers and customer success and value, um, but I never have thought about it in the sense of, you know, uh, market that you already have access to that someone else is trying to get access to. That's that's interesting. I, I appreciate you sharing that. And you also have superior access and you have superior ability to um, um, take that feedback. Think how yeah. hard it was for you to get a call or an introduction to a legitimate client and for you to be taken right. seriously. And even when you got through, you probably weren't even talking to the decision maker. You weren't even talking to the end user or customer. Well, my friend, once you've grown your startup and you've got some paying accounts, wow. Like yeah. they're, they're an asset for you. 
to yeah, yeah. keep being a startup, never lose sight of that. And that's, I think, why Bill Gates and others were always worried about not their major competitors, but that small hustler who's trying to yeah. go you know, after that market. They're the dangerous yeah. ones. Yeah, that's, I love that. I love that. That you know, it's like you think about key decision makers, and that's that's something that you run into when you're doing, you know, B two B as well, right? Like you might be talking to someone because you know you know them, you have a relationship with them, or or how, you know how however that might be, and they and they may actually get get you in the door, but you know, oftentimes you'll you know you, the sale or may not work because ultimately you were talking to the wrong person, right? Like the person, that other person who is that key decision maker might actually be doing their own thing, right? Like they might be running the same process on their own. And so I would say it's really important to, you know, leverage those relationships to get in, but then as quickly as possible, try to get to the key decision maker. I mean, you hear it, but like, you know, we live it. Um, because they're the ones that are ultimately, yeah, going to decide whether this this pilot, whatever it is, is going to succeed or fail, you know? Exactly. Prioritization, knowing who you're talking to, making sure you have a really solid sales approach, you have good follow-up activities, and, you know, you build a relationship, and eventually you will score that sale. You have to work at it. There were accounts I worked on for years and years, um, and I finally got them. You know, when I got them, and I got them big, and they became big accounts. And sometimes, you know, you need case studies, you need marketing enablement, you need you need to work many angles. Sometimes if it's a big company, you need to work 10 different people in the company. Yeah. You know, and then you gotta also be worried about another thing. Turnover can hurt you too. The decision maker you were talking to has been replaced. And often why is it the politics of a big company, the new person comes in and wants to change everything. And that might mean you too. That might mean getting rid of the vendor. So, right. you know, you, you gotta you gotta really um, Build a sticky solution so that your product lives on beyond the decision maker being there and the power yeah. of the being there. I actually, I, I actually, I'll ask you this question. I'm kind of interested in, in what your answer would be. So, you know, there's this approach of selling to large enterprises of, you know, sort of enterprise-wide deployments, right? Where uh, I'd be interested to see if you saw this at Bungle. So, like, you know, where in order for this the company to um, adopt your platform, it has to be deployed across the entire organization, as opposed to this, what I would call like a, maybe this is the wrong analogy in this day and age, but like a virus kind of model where you can get one group that had, you know, it's sort of less pressure to make that decision, but get one group, have them adopt it, and then they can become evangelists throughout the organization. You know, oftentimes, especially in real estate, like different, um, geographic groups or, you know, asset class groups are kind of their own profit center. So they do have the ability to make these decisions on their own. But I, how, how did you think about that when you were selling to these large companies? Was it like a organization wide or was it like? Rarely, 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 rarely. Even today, still not the case. Portfolio wide deployments and rollouts are hard to get. Most companies are risk averse to trying new solutions and want rollouts that are carefully staged and managed. And it definitely is easier to go and get one group within the company to be your evangelist. And then yeah. to use that group to champion you internally. So yeah. th that's the safest approach. I'm not saying you can't get those big portfolio wide deployments. Um, you want to get LPC's entire real estate portfolio. Okay. Yeah. It, it, it comes down to how the company's structured. Very rarely um, are conglomerates 
structured so centrally, um, Disney used to have like a strategic planning unit that would really have a say in everything that rolls out operationally. And when Bob Iger, the, the uh, you know, previous CEO of Disney, when he came in, he really dissolved that group and gave power to each leader. Mm. Now, on this theme, over the last decade, we have seen a shift in marketing and technology budgets. It used to be in the hands of the CFO. It's now mm. more in the hands of the divisional leaders and the CTO and CMO. The CTO and CMO nowadays are controlling more and more of the spend, and the CFO has a lot less power there. And the yeah. CMO, I would argue, as well has you know a lot of power in making technology decisions. And even the sales team now has decisions. And the, the role of the IT function internally is diminishing and is becoming somewhat redundant. IT is now being relegated to overall infrastructure and security and onboarding employees and setting them up and you yeah. know things like that. So, if that's happening, you've got to realize that each department might have its own budget. And sometimes it's annoying. You might already have a contract with the company, but it's like you're starting from scratch. The right yeah. hand and left hand sometimes don't even talk to each other. Right. Uh, let me bring this to real estate as an example. I'll give you one example. There's so many configurations. In multifamily, you're talking to a fund like Bluefield, right? You might think it's so easy for us to deploy a technology solution throughout all of our portfolios. Hell no, no. Like we have different third-party managers. We have Graystar managing a bunch of properties. We have AMC, we have, we have other vendors. We have smaller property management firms. And even then in that property management firm, you've got different regional managers. So for me to deploy a hardware solution or you know a tenant communication platform or whatever it might be, in one part of the portfolio within that property manager, it's a lot of work to have it work in three properties and then roll that out to five or six. It does tend to be like a virus, you know, but it doesn't spread as viral as a virus does, you know? In yeah. fact, sometimes you might secure that one that is going really well and for some reason it doesn't spread, you know? So you've got to be a chess player when you're in the enterprise game. You've really got to, I think you're the one that sort of brought it up, you've got to know who the decision maker is and you've got to really research and you're playing a chess game here. Also, you want to be, you don't have this luxury all the time, but you want to choose who your, who your key contact's going to be, you know? And, and as a CEO, I found, so this is more for founders and CEOs here, be very strategic with which level you build the relationship at. So I used to have my sales team account, I mean, we had hundreds of salespeople, we had hundreds of millions of revenue, so I know it's a different scale, but this did start to happen in the early days where I would only try to come in and I'm not trying to sound arrogant here, okay? Don't get me wrong, mm. right? But it's what your job is as a CEO. You have to come in and be used a certain way. My sales team wouldn't let me take meetings sometimes with lower level sales people on the other side. Especially in Asia, it was very important that rank was respected. And I also yeah. found when I came in too heavy as a CEO and there's junior salespeople from the other side, they wouldn't say a word. They would just say the product's great, you wouldn't get the truth. So what I found worked well was sort of a configuration where the sales team would bring me into the boss of their uh, contact. So the yeah. sales team can't go higher than director level, right? So now they arrange a meeting jointly where our sales team and, and our contact at the client would get me a meeting with the SVP. 
Yeah. Right? And the SVP is willing to take that meeting. Now, that's very important. You go establish a relationship with that SVP. Don't get stuck at the lower level. Let your sales team manage that lower level. Um, yeah. Now you've got the relationship. So if anything happens, the SVP is going to call you. It happened to me many times. You know, I'm getting a text message like, hey, you know, we're unhappy with your product. We're probably going to switch you out. I'm like, whoa, 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 okay, like, <laughs> give me a chance here, you know, let, let me see yeah. what's happening. And sometimes the SVP would give me a notice before they would even give it a notice to the lower level people. Oh, wow. So this is the world of enterprise, you see, yeah. this is the world of B2B, something that people don't appreciate. Once you go in, there's a whole politics. Use your role as a CEO, executive, a founder. There are some customers that you want to have a contact with at the lowest level because they're going to give you true feedback. But the other accounts where you really have to get a CEO to CEO relationship going. And sometimes it's a two hour meeting and you're going out to eat and you're doing all the fun stuff people envy CEOs for doing. You're golfing, you're whining and dining. And at the very end, if it comes up, how's business? It's going great. Oh, by the way, you know, there was this one issue. No worries, we'll sort it out. Your people talk to my people. That's literally what it used to be like as you scale a company. It's fun, yeah. I'll tell you, it's a fun thing, right? Uh, but it's deliberate. In enterprise, you have to do it like that. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I mean, uh, well, I'm not that we're out yet whining and dining, you know, hopefully one day, but... Um, start doing that. I really yeah. think you need to start doing that because here's the thing you need to remember, right? It's not about your revenues. Founders have a lot of respect for founders. CEOs yeah, sure. have a lot of respect for other CEOs. It's normal and it's okay and it's approachable or not approachable, it's it's appropriate for you to ask for a meeting with the CEO of the enterprise company. Yeah. What, like set your sights high, if not the CEO, like the divisional leader and yeah. come in and get respect. And once you're seen as an equal, and you, this is all about the dynamics too, right? You don't want to be a slave. You don't want to be a dev shop as we said in a, you know one of the earlier segments sure. here. Go in and establish yourself as an equal and it'll move mountains for your company. Yeah. You know, you got to know how to play that. that. Yeah, no, I, I love that. Yeah, I, um, yeah, it's just, it's just fun. It, 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 like you said, uh, or like we said earlier, in some respects, getting a, starting a B2B company, there's a lot of advantages, right? Cause you, you have a, you can have a well-defined problem. You can work in a niche. You can, you know who your customers are, but then when you talk, you know, when you start going into things like this, well, okay. You know, now you have to maintain those clients. You have to ensure you're talking to the right people. So on the, on the front end, it's, I wouldn't say easier. I'm not, I'm definitely not saying eat. I don't want to use that word, but it's on the back end. You kind of have to deliver on that promise, right? Whereas oftentimes people think about consumer. It's like, okay, well, yeah, it's really hard up front to get enough people. Um, but then if you can do it and, and that one product hits, then it's like, okay, well, I can just build this sort of one product and kind of keep going. It's it's just my point is is like it it, it never really stops, right? Like it it, it doesn't stop. <laughs>